Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on Manchester Street in Marylebone W1, one street east of the last sighting of Rennie Hanrahan, two streets southeast of the HQ, where Churchill's super spy was recruited, then cruelly dismissed, two streets south of the luring to death of William Raven for the sake of a clean pair of underpants, and one street north of the man who couldn't drown. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Along this long line of four-storey brown brick Georgian terraces with white sills and black wrought iron railings stands 19 Manchester Street. Like many buildings of this era, it currently occupies private flats and commercial offices some of which are respected businesses. But others, like the solicitors just two doors down, are not. As with their Google reviews littered with phrases like rude, arrogant, unprofessional, and he needs a lesson in basic human decency. It's a giggle to read if you've got a minute to spare. Thankfully, we live in a world where everybody has a voice and every piece of praise or grievance can be heard by others. But back in the 1950s, if you wanted a professional's help, you had to rely on word of mouth and trust. But for many, a posh office, a fancy title and a wall of diplomas was enough. Back in 1951, the attic flat at 19 Manchester Street was the home of 36-year-old Gabrielle de Wolf, her husband Earl, and their four-year-old daughter, Cheryl. With psychoanalysts still in its infancy, many doctors clutched at straws, hoping that any improvement to the patient could aid their understanding. One such patient was Gabrielle de Wolf. What she needed was help, but what she got was guesswork. My name is Michael, I'm your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 216, The Good Mother. Gabrielle de Wolf was born Gabrielle Isabella Dane on the 1st of October 1914 in Ballarat, in the central highlands of Victoria in Australia. As the second eldest of four siblings, alongside Paul, Charmaine and Winsome, it was no surprise that Gabrielle turned out well-rounded, loving and said to be of superior intelligence being the daughter of Dr. Paul Greig Dane, one of Melbourne's leading psychiatrists. Psychiatry and psychoanalysis were still relatively new and unexplored medical sciences, especially in the Winthrop Wilds of Australia. So as an early adopter of this form of mental health care, 
along with his family. Paul traveled the world to find the best psychoanalysts across America, Asia, and Europe. Many young girls would dream of having such a wondrous upbringing. A loving family, a steady home, a chance to see the world, and to sample a wealth of history, culture, and people. Only Gabrielle would never get to fulfill her dream of becoming a professional photographer. As by the age of 23, something had happened inside of her mind. Having suffered a nervous breakdown, with her father being a specialist in psychiatric therapy, he knew that Australia had some good facilities, including his own clinic, to treat her ailments but that he also knew that the best facilities and the best people in the world for her were currently in London. In 1937, having agreed that his daughter, Gabrielle, would be treated by one of the best psychoanalysts, Anna Freud, a pioneer in the treatment of childhood trauma and the daughter of the infamous Sigmund Freud, she moved to London to be close to Anna's clinic and so she could be treated by her on a regular basis. Anna Freud would be Gabrielle's analyst for the next decade. And although she was surrounded by the best specialists imaginable, London in the late 1930s was not the best place to be, especially for a woman who had suffered a mental collapse. From the 7th of September 1940, for the next eight months and five days, the Luftwaffe unleashed an endless barrage of incendiary bombs, landmines and high explosives from the brooding skies, hoping to pummel not just the British industrial complex into submission, but also its people. We still heveled the bravery of those who survived it by praising their blitz spirit. But as was the way of the era, we still failed to acknowledge the many thousands whose mental health had been affected during and after the bombardment. As every day, a fear of death or dismemberment would haunt their eyes. But there was no denying that, once you removed the rose-tinted spectacles of historical bias, the Blitz must have been a terrifying experience. As an unrelenting cacophony of bangs erupted in your ears, as day and night a series of faceless strangers tried to kill you for something you hadn't done. History has chosen to recall the scars of our past through joyous photographs of crowds of Londoners having a jolly good sing-song in the tube tunnels and air raid shelters. But in reality, many couldn't rest or sleep in these concrete coffins as with the tunnels echoing to the sound of deadly explosions, many occupants never knew whether they would come out alive, and if who or what they had left behind could be found in one piece amidst the shattered remains of their lives. That said, with the help of therapy, Gabrielle came through it. And having found a sense of well-being and happiness, she also found love. How and where they met is uncertain. But with 30-year-old Earl Felix Sylvester de Wolf being a theatrical agent, with the premises at 4 to 5 William IV Street, just off the Strand, 
which he ran with his partner, Richard Stone. They may have met at a private function, and there they fell in love. Being charming, handsome, and charismatic, Gabriel's mood was buoyed by his attention. And as an entrepreneur, with big dreams of running Western shows, once the war was over and the theatres could reopen, until then, he would do his bit as an entry-level aircraftman with the Royal Air Force. In July 1942, amidst the smouldering ruins of Paddington, they married, and Gabrielle became Mrs. De Wolf. But as with many wartime romances, being enlisted to serve his country and be sent overseas, as and when was decreed. For the first four years of their marriage, they spent more time apart than together. With the war over, as Earl returned to the theatres, Gabrielle discovered that she was pregnant. Her pregnancy marked an uncertain time for both of them. As with Gabrielle, often gripped with stinging bouts of paranoia, depression and anxiety, no one really knew how she would cope with something inside of her. A parasite of love, who wriggled and kicked within her, who made her sick and wheezy, and with no control over its movement, it kept her awake at night, and it dominated her day. Pregnancy is both a beautiful and a demonstrative thing. But oddly for Gabrielle, it gave her something to focus on but herself. A mission beyond her troubled marriage, and a distraction from her anxieties. On the 8th of December 1946, Gabrielle gave birth to a daughter who she named Cheryl. Being a good weight and with all of her limbs, this baby girl was healthy, happy and nursed by a woman who everyone would describe as a loving and devoted mother. Mothering had remade her. But as this tiny tot became an inquisitive infant, with the wondrous ones giving way to the terrible twos and the troublesome threes, anyone who has experienced it will know that as much as child-rearing is rewarding, it can also be as mentally draining and physically exhausting as being tortured. With no end in sight and no hope of release, weakened by a lack of sleep, to the point where even forming basic words can be a struggle. Many feel like a cash machine, forever dispensing notes. A prize heifer, trapped inside a milking shed. Or merely a wet-wiped hand, eternally wiping a brown gloop from an anus. Mothering was her greatest joy as she watched her baby grow. But doing this mostly alone, with Earl often at work, having few friends, and her family the other side of the world, it was also unrelenting. Apart from her unspecified diagnosis of mental neurosis, no one really knew what was wrong with Gabrielle. And as no one knew how to treat her, she was as much a guinea pig as a patient. Suffering headaches which crippled her body and depression which ravaged her mind. Living in an era 
where GPs recommended smoking as a cure for nerves. Gabrielle was blessed to have one of Australia's core experts in psychiatry on her side. In 1948, concerned for his daughter's welfare, her father, Dr. Paul Dane, came to London and knowing only the best specialists to aid Gabrielle's recovery, he introduced her to Dr. Maurice Aubrey Partridge, a consultant in psychiatric medicine at St. George's Hospital, and she continued to be treated by him. According to Earl, my wife was highly strung and suffered terribly. So as the wonder surgery of its day, which had shown some success. In April 1950, Gabrielle was admitted to the York Clinic at Guy's Hospital to undergo a leukotomy. A psychosurgery, commonly known as a prefrontal lobotomy. Developed in the early 1940s, a lobotomy involved the surgical cutting of the white nerve fibers of the prefrontal cortex, which regulates our thoughts and emotions to other parts of the brain, as well as the anterior part of the frontal lobes, which regulates our higher cognitive functions, such as our memories, our emotions, our problem-solving, our social interactions, and our motor functions. With neurologist Antonio Monitz awarded the Nobel Prize for Medicine in 1949, having originated this form of lobotomy, it quickly became the hot operation of the early 1950s. Being held as a breakthrough for many psychodisorders and with Gabrielle being one of 20,000 people who received this operation in 1950. Being a highly invasive surgery with a 5% mortality rate, Gabrielle was kept in for observation at St. George's Hospital for the next two weeks. And given the all clear, she returned to the new flat she shared with her husband and four-year-old daughter at 19 Manchester Street in Marlebone. The surgery seemed like a partial success as her mood had begun to stabilize. But as with many of the survivors of that form of lobotomy, Gabrielle would now be struck down by a slew of new symptoms, like confusion, incontinence, weight gain, and seizures. A report would state, the operation had alleviated her distress, but owing to severe intracranial bleeding, this had resulted in epilepsy, anxiety, paranoia, and sleeplessness. As personality changes, had taken place. In a study conducted just one year later, Dr. Maurice Partridge confirmed that along with a lack of spatial awareness, a foggy thought process, and patients becoming emotionally and intellectually blunted, outside of the 5% mortality rate, lobotomy patients also had an above-average suicide rate Therefore, in 1952, just one year after Gabrielle's operation, that form of lobotomy was abandoned in Britain. But once a lobotomy has been done, it cannot be undone. As a woman once described as being of superior intelligence, with very little aftercare, she was often left to fend for herself, being plagued by a damaged brain in an isolated flat, surrounded by a screaming child.
unsurprisingly. By the autumn, and following the death of her father from stomach cancer in October 1951, being gripped by suicidal thoughts, she often phoned Earl in his office to demand that he come home at once. As in her own words, If you don't, I shall kill myself and take the baby with me. Those who knew her felt that this was an empty threat. As being a devoted mother, many thought it was just a cry for help. So to ensure that she got the help that she truly needed, Dr. Partridge admitted her to the Atkinson Morley Hospital, a renowned mental health facility in Wimbledon, and she would remain as his patient. It was said that Gabrielle exhibited symptoms such as nerves, migraines, anxiety, and struck with fears that she was incurable. Displayed by ideas of hopelessness, frustration, everything going wrong, her husband not wanting her, or a child having to grow up like her. Although she worshipped the child, it would later become clear she felt she could no longer keep trying to get on well mentally and she could not bring up her child properly. Her report would state, so severe was the disease of the mind. At the time of the act, the defect of reason was so severe that she would be incapable of knowing what she was doing was wrong. Gabrielle was struggling. She was alone and confused. But it was made all the worse as Earl had applied for a divorce. Tuesday the 17th of April 1951 seemed like an ordinary day for Earl. As he returned from a business trip to Bournemouth, and went straight to his theatrical office on the Strand. The day before, he tried to call Gabrielle at 6pm, but getting no reply on the phone, he thought that she was bathing the baby. And with her not picking up at 9pm, he guessed that she had taken a sleeping tablet and had gone to bed. At 10 a.m., he tried again. But getting no reply, he tried several times across the next two hours, thinking she had taken their four-year-old daughter to school. But by 12.30 p.m., growing concerned, he caught a cab to 19 Manchester Street in Marleybone, being described as gravely worried and rightly so. As he entered the communal door and ascended the stairs to the attic flat, Earl would state, I knew something was wrong as I couldn't open the door with my keys as Gabrielle had bolted it shut from the inside. At 1.40pm, having ran to the nearest phone box and called the police. Within minutes, Sergeant Cullen and PCs Nickel and Carpenter were met by Earl outside of the building, who stated, I want you to break down the door. I suspect my wife is in danger. And with Sergeant Cullen placing his nose against the keyhole, getting a strong whiff of coal gas seeping through. They forced the door and got in. Inside, the officers stumbled down the hall. As fighting back the fumes, their lungs struggled and their eyes streamed. Being two decades before natural gas was used in kitchens, even a few breaths of 1% carbon monoxide was enough to knock a grown man out. 
but with coal gas containing 200% carbon monoxide. A psychiatrist at the time would state, Every kitchen has an executioner's chamber. In the 1940s, 50s and 60s, half of Britain's suicides were by coal gas. But with it being phased out in the 1970s, suicide by gas would drop to almost zero and the suicide rate was reduced by a third. In a small passageway, off to the right of the entrance hall, officers entered the small kitchen. Spewing out cubic meters of highly combustible gas, all four jets on the gas ring were unlit, but on full. Turning this little room into an airless box of death, as life-giving oxygen was replaced by a toxic powder keg. Turning off the jets, the officers could barely see or breathe. As with every side of each window sealed shut with adhesive tape, they had to cut each seal with a sharp knife, simply so they could breathe. But as the gas leaked out and fresh air fed in, it was on the kitchen floor that they saw a mattress. Covered in two blankets, like this mother and her baby were just going to sleep. In front of the cooker lay Gabrielle, all still and pale, as in her arms lay her four-year-old daughter, Cheryl. Dressed in a blue woolen cardigan and a pink flowered dress, having drifted into unconsciousness, the child was dead. In the bedroom, several handwritten letters scrawled in Gabrielle's hand were found. Described as rambling in nature, with bad grammar and odd spellings, which was unusual for such a bright woman. They showed the imbalance of her mind as she poured out her final thoughts to her loved ones. To Dr. Partridge, she spoke of a motive. I don't think I can get on well or bring up my little girl as she should be. Suggesting some blame. My mother had no intention to come to my aid and my husband's been facing the facts. As well as a thank you to her doctor. Allow me to express my thanks for all you have done. To her mother, she left a fragmented letter written in a stream of consciousness. The little one is terribly intense, inherited from me. It's nobody's fault. She is not ill, but she may well become so if I send her away. Mummy, it is the morning of this terrible thing. I don't want to do it. I want to fight till I drop. In several letters, described as increasingly confused, she insisted that her few possessions be shared between her siblings, that a suit, possibly her dead father's, not be given to her husband Earl. And in one final request, we had best be cremated, as it's like me to wake up after I'm dead. In her letters, although rambling, it was clear that she'd intended to take her own life and that of her four-year-old child by gas asphyxiation. But with the officers unwilling to give up until the doctor had arrived, having attempted artificial respiration on both, somehow Gabrielle was still alive. 
brought back from the dead. Gabrielle was taken to St. George's Hospital, where physically she made a full recovery. Committed to Fulham Mental Hospital, having been declared fit to stand trial, upon her release just one week later, as was his duty, Detective Inspector Wallace arrested her. When told that she would be charged with the murder of her child, she replied, I understand. She was such a lovely baby. Can you tell me, why didn't I die too? Having explained how and why she survived, she replied, The baby felt nothing. I drugged her first, then carried her to the kitchen while she slept. An autopsy was carried out. It determined that Cheryl had died by carbon monoxide poisoning, with Dr. Francis Camps confirming her body was healthy, well-fed, and there was no evidence of abuse. Six months later, Gabrielle's case proved a turning point in psychiatric treatment. With the president of the psychiatric side of the Royal Society of Medicine stating... There is a possible lethal complication of leukotomy, with three murders having been committed by leukotomized patients who are now serving time in Broadmoor. Tried at the Old Bailey, Gabrielle was found guilty of willful murder, but was declared insane at the time. She was sent to Broadmoor, where she was held under Her Majesty's pleasure. With Gabrielle declared mentally incompetent, Earl was granted a divorce. As for Gabrielle, nothing is known about the rest of her life. Whether she was released, remarried, or had another child. But having later moved to the West Midlands, she died in June 1986, aged 71. With those who knew her, still holding on to the truth that she was a good mother. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Oh, let me just say that someone is going to die. Someone is going to die. And that person who's going to die, just taking your hat off, 
So that person who's going to die is the little shitty fuckface who's doing circuits above me in their shitty little aircraft. Oh. It's one of those days where I looked out and thought, there's not many aircraft out today. We'll, we'll, we'll do recording today. One person is doing circuits above me at the moment, and they're going to die. I I don't care. Luckily, this is West London-ish. It's it's on the border. I I can I can accept that. I can put that into an episode. I might write it in advance. I think it will be one of the most brutal episodes I've ever written. The person will be uh, beheaded. They'll have all their limbs slowly cut off. They'll be dragged behind a car. Uh, uh, while they're still alive, I'm going to have uh, rabid dogs eat them. And oh god, a fucking little aircraft. And you know what? got a feeling he's bugging off now utter bastard shitty little wanky aircraft utter bugger oh anyway (coughs) oh healthy so there we go there was that episode uh i would i always feel weird when i say did you enjoy that it's kind of it never feels right to say did you enjoy that episode because it's you know it's about it's about someone's life and their unhappiness and the most tragic moment in their lives and you just think although there's a a lot a lot out there about uh lobotomies and how um i'm kind of i'm piecing together something whether i'll do it as a podcast episode i don't know but i'm i'm probably going to work on something about that whole era of the the excitement of all lobotomy is the great solver if 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 you go back to the um the uh, Holocaust survivor episode, Emmy Werner, she had a lobotomy and it was in and around that era as well. So post-war, because of her nerves, they gave her a lobotomy. Did that cause problems afterwards? Probably. And as, as mentioned in there, three murders in that year based around people who'd had lobotomies and the suicide rate had gone sky high as well. So it's uh, it's one of those kind of scandal things, but obviously we don't talk about it because, it, you know, it's medical profession. It's kind of like, oh, that's fine. They were just experimenting. Not really a problem. Oh, anyway, anyway, shall I make a cup of tea? I don't know if I want a cup of tea. I can't be bothered. Went to the pub last night. A little bit of a hangover. So there we go. Well, it's nice and quiet in the pub. So it's very nice. Very nice. Uh, what else is good? Uh, just finishing off these episodes. Um, we got uh, th- this is a one-parter. We've got a- another one-parter to come next week, and then we dive into the three-parter, uh, which I haven't written yet. So I'm looking forward to getting back to writing stuff again because I'm just on a run of editing. And then it's sometime in July, um, I've got it mapped in. We'll do a three-week run of the Daily Inch. I've done 10 of those so far. I'm going to try and get the other five written soon as well and ready to go. So that'll be good. So uh, lots to enjoy. Lots to enjoy. Um, thank you to new Patreon subscriber, Rhonda Ney. So thank you, Rhonda. Um, uh, if, just if anyone wants to become a Patreon subscriber, there is a new button on there now where you could you could uh, click. Um, it's like a seven-day trial. So you can click it. You get access to everything. You can try it out. Uh, see if you like it. Um, uh, and if you don't, not a problem at all. It just expires and you just go, well, that was fine. <coughs> um, what else is on there? And for if you're current Patreon subscribers as well, they've put in a new, they didn't tell us about it, which is annoying, but they've put in a new thing as well. So if you're on any of the other tiers, um, there's a thing called preview. So if you want to hear what Walk With Me is like, or if you want to get a kind of uh or, or do i want to hear what next week's episode is or, or things like that there's like a preview button as well so lots in there to enjoy and explore um let's dive into some quiz questions don't forget i haven't edited these uh this episode yet so some of these may not exist um i'm going to remove one question because i've definitely i definitely have edited that I edited it while I was recording it. So let's do this. Uh, question number one. Uh, what was the name of Gabrielle's siblings? Uh, I'm not going to do question number two. It, what it was going to be was uh, uh, what World War One conflict did their father serve in? Because I had a big section in there about a father. And her father um, was a medical professional during World War One. He served in Gallipoli. And when he because he was served in Gallipoli, there was lots of... Uh, 
uh, trauma of people who saw the conflict and that's where the birth of him building his um uh psychiatric clinic that's where it came from but i just kind of decided i didn't need it to be in there in the episode so i took it out so ignore question two um question number three what did gabrielle study at college question number four what was the name of earl's business partner question number five in what part of london did gabrielle and earl marry Question number six, what was Gabrielle's initial vague diagnosis? So the doctors gave her a a vague diagnosis, but what was it? Question number seven, who was, uh, (coughs) originally, who was her main psychoanalyst? Question number eight, before Manchester Street, which street in London associated with the Blackout Ripper did they live on? think i may have deleted this i think this might be another bit that i deleted but if i didn't you get a, a, a f- whatever brain's not really working well today question number nine described um i described oh i haven't written this question properly question number nine um i described one of three ways uh, as being a parent to a new oh, this isn't even a uh, michael you've written described one of three ways i described what being a parent to newborn is life that's not a question you utter turd um okay uh, i described three ways of what it's like being a parent to a newborn what are they you can describe one or all and question number 10, uh, where was Earl the day before the suicide slash murder? So there we go. Uh, let's dive into these. Now, I need to be careful that I don't ruin some of the quiz questions. But I thought what I might do is originally what I was going to do with this episode was use all of the, the letters because there's she left a lot of letters. There's, I think there's like seven letters in total to her, her siblings uh, and a doctor and her mum and to her husband and they they're all kind of varying stages of mentally solid and then others are really fragmented and all over the shop like some are written in proper paragraphs and then others she's writing on all four sides of the paper and the down the margins and it's it's almost impossible to read sometimes so uh here's one that she left to her doctor dr morris partridge um Dear Dr. Partridge, thank you for sending me the prescription to help me on my way. I wrote for that when full of hope. Um, Since talking to you, I have been trying to think things out in a practical manner and find that I'm sure that um, one can get on well, but I don't feel up or in fact, I don't think I can get on well and bring up my little girl as she should be her emotions and intenseness are superlative that is a word that's in brackets however I mean very much at the highest peak aircraft above me that bastard I hope he's got a grave. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, uh, and, and that is not hyperbole. Uh, and so you see what, with that and my mother with no intention of coming to my aid, and my husband in facing the facts, truly caring nothing for me and little for the child, well, it's not even nine to six on in odds. Uh, and so I say adieu. Helicopter now. There we go. Utter bastards um but also allows me to express my thanks for all you have done for me and to completely absolve you of anything you may or may not have done i was a woman or i am a woman of brains and i know that but just in case there should be any unpleasantness i have not forgotten you and you have done entirely all the all any psychiatrist could it's just one person here that cares enough to help me that i want so adieu dr partridge you're sincerely gabrielle so that's kind of makes sense but um she left a letter to her her mum and it really it's in fragments it's on corners of the page when i was typing it up i had to i had to keep going back and try and work out which parts connected to which it's they really are a mess uh so the one to her mum goes um darling mummy 
I have not written because of money. That doesn't matter. There's no punctuation as well. So it's, it's sometimes it's hard to read. Darling mummy, I have not written because of money. That doesn't matter. I think I can get on well. In fact, I've begun and it's hell, but I can face it and get through it. But question mark. Uh, and here is the point to my letter. The little one is terribly intense, inherited from me. It's nobody's fault. She is not ill, but may well become if I sent her away. And I don't think I can get well with her because it's just too much to upset my darling at the expense of my health. I can't do it. And my husband does not care a rap for me and not much more for the child. He has he has grown so hard and there is no help from him. And I am all alone. Um, You hang on. You would not have come uh, had I written, never mind the reasons. I didn't ask so, mummy, I am trapped. Trapped at the first glimpse of light. I know that I love you so much that I understand all and try and understand because I hope that by this time tomorrow uh, to be out of all of it. Use the money for yourself and give it to, she names her sister, that is my share, but best of all, use it for yourself and for Grandpa. Uh, and I have never forgetten, forgotten that for an instant. And yet, uh, I sort of knew that when you went, see, it's, it's, see, it becomes very rambling, and it's hard to. She she doesn't seem to be focusing on anything. Um, uh, it was the la- It was the last I would see you. Uh, I have been brave, but now I am practical. Goodbye, Mummy. And I won't be there for so very long. I only hope that this effort does not fail, but it must but I must be brave for my little one's sake. If you send Anna some money I owe her so much, I'm sorry to let Dr. Partridge down t- too, uh, but I can't go on like this any more as I haven't a chance. Oh dear, I shan't write any more or I'll cry. Um you won't live long, mummy, and if this doesn't hasten your end, it will be less for you to bear. Just remember I love you. Don't forget, this is just like a couple of months after her dad died as well. Mummy, um, it is the morning of this terrible thing. Um, I don't want to do it. I want to fight till I drop. But I can't seem very ill flu every week, white-faced with big purple shadows under her eyes but oh such lovely limbs this is me writing reading it verbatim this is exactly as it says better than mine i can't snap at her and see her go and hide herself and break her heart mummy eyes have come to you and you can't or won't come to see me i'd have hung my head in humiliation uh she puts in a shakespeare quote there for no reason um and it ends go to hell i've been too honest and have found my brains and got my looks back but i've no one here just no one here and he is away and it's my chance don't send him the suit she keeps going on about the suit throughout it's weird don't send him the suit Uh, he has been a beast no helping hand just leaves me alone with another tart here while i was in hospital that i feel soiled and that's and that's not the worst letter the worst like they they get gradually gradually worse throughout um another letter here she doesn't actually say who it's to she writes letters she doesn't say who it's to and they're really fragmented it says please post all but the drawing to my mother and don't send her suit or anything or I'll, or i'll see justice to the end you will not take your shallow band woman out dressed in my father's suit I expect you will read the letter. I'm guessing it's to her her husband. Um, I expect you will read the letter, but please post all this, but I'm writing on and send Dr. Partridge's. I can't write Anna. I'm guessing that's Dr. Anna. uh, Maybe that was a quiz question. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, I've no paper, so please will you write and thank her. Uh, I've seen the light, but with the little ones as she is i can't and don't have a dog's hope thank you gabrielle it's, it's a, they, they they get worse and worse 
it, I, I spent ages going through all these letters and going back through them and trying to work out what they actually said. Uh, another one here. Um, uh, there's no address on it. I, I, I reckon it's to her mum. Did I have already done this one? Yeah, see, repetition again. Don't send money or the suit to that one wife who our family have not given enough. He is not to wear my father's suit and get the watch back. And my Armin's is to go to you. I'd rather you had it, but you might let that, she mentions a brother name, have it. And I'm mean enough to hate that. I'll leave a note for Peter, she doesn't say who Peter is, to send a few clothes and I have to to a sister. Uh, he will only give them to his tart. The re- revelation of his character has shocked me beyond all. Uh, when she was in hospital recovering, she said that the re- he barely visited her and that she thought he was having an affair. Uh, we don't have any proof that he was having an affair, but that doesn't mean he, he wasn't. Coot's having a fight outside. Baby Coot's having a fight outside now. Oh, joy. Um, I think... uh, This is farewell, my darling. Fear no devils for me. I have fought them all my life. Uh, These other letters are Cheryl's. She thinks she is going to fairyland. Adieu, my darling mummy, and weep no more on my account. Yours, Gabrielle. Um, Yeah... It's a bit of a mess. I think it was. I think it was. I think it did say seven letters in total, and they were all all a massive mess. Uh, what else have we got? Um, the, the doctor who was summoned at two ten p.m. was Doctor Ronald Cove Smith. He was the acting police divisional surgeon. <coughs> he was in a nearby Maid of Ale. Um, police tried artificial respiration on both of them. Unfortunately, the um, the young girl was already dead, but they managed to resuscitate Gabrielle. The doctor gave her injections and oxygen and removed them both by ambulance, even though the daughter was dead by that point. Um, he said the child was not breathing. The skin of its legs and face were cherry red. I could detect no signs of life from the child. Breathing had stopped and the heart had ceased to function. Stiffness of the limbs had already set in and the child had been dead for some hours. He estimated about four or five hours. So um, when when Earl was calling in the morning to see if she was in, the child was almost certainly already dead by that point. Uh, While being resuscitated, they found that Gabrielle, on her right upper arm, she'd bound that part of her arm with with adhesive tape. But we don't know why. Um, she showed, showed sons of life and was taken to, to St George's Hospital. That's kind of... It used to be in Hyde Park. It's not there anymore. Um, uh, <coughs> um, uh, taken to hospital being deemed well enough to move at 3.15pm she was admitted to Fulham Mental Health Hospital in Hammersmith uh, Dr Alfred Turner determined that she was well enough to stand trial that was after a couple of days um, Earl had to wait outside uh, but he would later uh, this was um, uh, when they were trying to resuscitate the bodies he had to wait outside the flat uh, and he was the one who identified the body. Um, what else is there? What else? Investigation. So because I wrote this ages ago, or technically ages ago, I haven't looked at my notes in ages. Um, the police interviewed her at 9am on the 25th of April at Fulham Mental Hospital. It was deemed by the doctors that she was fit to be interviewed. So she was interviewed by Detective Inspector Wallace. Uh, He told her that he was a policeman and stated on the afternoon of Tuesday, the 17th of April, 1951, I saw the body of your little girl at 19 Manchester Street in Marylebone. An examination shows that she died of coal gas poisoning. I am now taking you to Marylebone Police Station where you'll be charged with her murder. She was cautioned and replied, I understand she was such a lovely baby. Can you tell me why I didn't go too? Uh, she was charged and in reply said I understand the baby felt nothing I drugged her first and then carried her to the kitchen while she slept Uh, it was quite they they really didn't have to do much about this it was kind of she'd she'd written the suicide note she'd admitted that uh, she tried to kill herself which was still a criminal offence and that she'd killed the child uh, which of course is a criminal offence 
even for the the, the prosecution and and the defense they did, really didn't have to fight this out this was kind of just standard that what they were trying to work out was uh, was she uh, of sound mind at the time and of course that's that's what it would lead to was the the fact that um uh, she was mentally unwell at the time uh, autopsy conducted by dr francis camps forensic pathologist of harley street uh conducted at st pancras mortuary and he certified death as asphyxia by carbon monoxide poisoning her blood was saturated with a 35 percent carbon monoxide rate uh her lips were hypostatic a suffusion to the eyes a small bruise on the arm uh, they didn't think anything that was uh, abuse related don't forget it's a four-year-old child it's like they bump themselves all day long uh, uh the child was lying on her right hand side hence the body had a pink florid color the body was healthy and well fed with no evidence of abuse or violence um i was going to do a whole section on this in the episode i might save this for a, a, a multi-part series or something that i might do but october 1952 the incoming president of the psychiatric section of the royal society of medicine chose the theme for his address which was death due to treatment uh, published in the proceedings of the royal society of medicine in january 1953 he listed the deaths in england and wales that had been caused by different psychiatric treatments over the past five and a half years uh, of which uh, 180 due to lobotomy this is also the area of ect so electroconvulsive therapy so 67 had died insulin treatment 44 uh, continuous narcosis eight and malaria therapy six so we've got a lot of experimental therapies going on at this point and he's really having a look at them and going wow we've got a real problem here with our new therapies uh, many of those who died due to lochotomy were young just over a quarter were aged 19 to 35 which included gabrielle uh, with 40 percent aged 36 to 55 and a quarter over that um over one half of women after discussing the deaths uh he said i think it is permissible to mention as a possible lethal complication of leukotomy three murders committed by leukotomized patients who are now in broadmoor um in in the report they don't really mention that it, uh gabrielle's name but when you look at the details it is gabrielle uh, a brief description followed a third uh of the three people who committed murders a third is a woman of superior intelligence for many years she's sub subjected to migraines and phases of depression with obsessional thoughts and actions she received a great deal of psychotherapy and other psychiatric treatments culminating in leukotomy all without benefit she then murdered her daughter and attempted suicide um Trial at the Old Bailey, 24th of uh, May 1951, before Mr. Justice Linsky, J.J. <coughs> uh, Bass for the prosecution, Bernard Gillies for the defence. Uh, she pleaded not guilty to the charge and her counsel informed the court that she would not dispute the evidence put forward by the prosecution, but would rely on the defence of insanity and would call medical evidence to support it. And that was accepted. So that's where everyone was going with the case. Uh, evidence was given by Earl, uh, Dr. Cove Smith, Dr. Camps, the pathologist, uh, P.C. Cullen and D.I. Wallace. Um, they were not cross-examined by the defence because um, a lot of it was just that's what they saw and it, they, they just agreed with it. Um, the defence counsel also stated they would not put Gabrielle in the witness boss box as she was still mentally frail. Uh, but would put Dr. Thomas Christie, the chief medical officer of HMP Holloway, which is where she was kept, uh, to speak on her mental health. Throughout, Gabrielle was immobile and said nothing. Uh... Dr. Christie stated she knew what she was doing at the time of the murder, uh, but she did not know it was wrong. Uh, Dr. Morris Partridge also gave evidence to back this up as well. Jury determined that she uh, jury didn't have to retire. They found her guilty of murder, but declared her insane at the time of um, time of the act. She was sentenced to Broadmoor. Um, unfortunately, we don't know much more about that. We know when she died, which was uh, June 1986. She was 71. She was in Birmingham in the West Midlands don't know when she left broadmoor we don't know whether she'd been released or whether she was moved to another psychiatric unit maybe in, in birmingham so we don't know um 
and Earl, as mentioned in the episode, he married. Um, so Gabrielle was uh, committed to Broadmoor in May 1951. He remarried in 1960, Florence Lancaster. And then 1967, he married Brenda. We don't really know what Brenda's name is because they've listed it in the um, uh, census as uh, or wedding details as Brenda DeWolf. But obviously, that's her married name unless he married one of his own relatives. Uh, and as of 2005, he was still living in Paddington, uh, although we don't know whether he was still married. So that is that, ladies and gentlemen. That is uh, a nice, happy episode. There you go. Uh, let's do the, the quiz questions, and um, <coughs> then I'll do some editing. I'm not looking forward to editing today because the the bakery isn't open. What's the point? What's the point in the bakery not being open? Dis- disgraceful. Um, so let's do the quiz question. Don't forget, I haven't edited the episode, so... Um, some of these might be missing question number one what was the name of gabrielle's siblings they were paul charmaine and winsome winsome why would you call a child winsome paul fine charmaine yeah winsome Uh, question number two which is the one we didn't do which is what conflict did their father serve in that was gallipoli uh question number three what did gabrielle study at college photography question number four what was the name of earl's business partner it was richard stone question number five in what part of london did gabrielle and earl marry it was paddington question number six what was gabrielle's initial vague diagnosis Uh, so the doctor said she had a mental neurosis well there we go that answers everything doesn't it question number seven who was her main psychoanalyst originally it was dr anna freud question number eight don't forget i don't think this might be in the episode before manchester street which street in london associated with the blackout ripper did they live on um i took out a bit in this episode because um because of wartime she actually went back to australia for about a year and he was serving and then they both came back to london at the same time so uh they actually came back to sussex gardens uh 198 sussex gardens in paddington uh and dois june the final victim of the blackout ripper was at 134 so there you go um in what three ways did i describe being a parent to a newborn See, I can. I, I just came up with that question. That the the phrasing of that question it made sense. Unlike what I've written, I wrote. Uh, Many feel like a cash machine forever dispensing notes, a prize heifer trapped in a milk shed, or merely a wet a wet wiped hand eternally wiping up brown gloop from an anus. I'm sure many new parents can uh, appreciate that. And uh, question number 10, uh, where was Earl the day before the suicide of murder? He was in Bournemouth. There you go. So that's that's that done. Oh, all done. So that, that, that's it done, folks. Uh, hope you enjoyed that episode, if you can really enjoy an episode about a mother who kills a child. Um, next week's episode is a single-parter uh if you came on my tour it'll be a case that you'll be familiar with but this is the full story on the tour i can only tell you about four or five minutes of it this is the full whack so enjoy um have yourself a good week folks stay safe and be good uh thank you for supporting the show and uh etc etc um lots of love bye Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.